Welcome to the East Main Media Podcast, a series of conversations featuring leaders in a variety of subjects, including business, politics, media, and the arts. For more information, visit eastmainmedia.com forward slash podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. Visit jlc-accounting.com and by Tap Into TV, original video programming covering topics of interest in New Jersey, New York, and beyond. Visit tapintotv.net. Now here's your host, Brian Brodor. I am joined today by Tom Bergeron from R-O-I-N-J, which of course stands for Return on Information NJ. So Tom, thank you for joining me today. Glad to be here. I'm thrilled to have you here. We have a lot to talk about. First and foremost, what is ROINJ? Well, in a nutshell, in its truest form, we are an outcast of, a, of an old traditional, a modern version of a business journal. So previously, I was at NJ Biz. I ran that for four years. For a couple of reasons, we decided to break out on our own. The clever line is we wrote about entrepreneurs for four years, so we decided to become entrepreneurs. So we started up our own publication. I still don't know if I should call it a publication, a media outlet. We have a print publication, which is doing stunningly well, which is going to surprise some people. We certainly have a website. We certainly have a digital presence. We certainly have social media. So we're all the things that a modern publication should be. In a nutshell, at our heart, like I said, we, we cover business in the world of New Jersey. But what is business? Business can be everything to everyone. Everything that happens is business. So in this state, there's a huge intersection with politics. So we'll do some stuff on politics in how it relates to business. Not We're not getting into solving you know, R versus D arguments. We're talking about what they're doing that's going to help and hurt businesses in the state. We certainly have that part of it. But we also want to do some lifestyle stuff. You'll see restaurant stories, but they're not reviews. We're not telling you to order the steak or the chicken. We're talking about a new restaurant, what it wants to do, what is its business model on the one hand, why they think it would be successful. Often a restaurant is a new entrepreneur, so we're calling it from that angle. Or last week we did a new Roos Chris opened up in Jersey City. Okay, so why is... Number one, why is a traditional steak chain coming to Jersey City? We'll answer that question. And then, you know, we'll talk to them about how are they updating their restaurant to have a more business-friendly vibe. As they say, we've been in business for 50 years. We want to be in business for the next 50. So everything we do has a touch of business to it, but we also want to be informative and entertaining. We'll react to issues as they came up. Last week, we had good success. I did a column on job shaming when what happened with the, the former Cosby actor, that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with business, and it's one of those stories that everyone would read, not just business people. In our truest form, we're a publication and media outlet that the decision makers at companies would want to read. We're giving you the information that you need to know to run your business, and we're telling you about other businesses too. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're a business owner, if you're a, a C-suite decider, decision maker, executive, we're going to give you information that's going to help you make decisions about your own business because we're going to tell you how other people are doing it. The line I use with the reporters is, if we're going to do a story about a bank or a banker, there should be stuff in the story that's going to appeal to the banking industry, but there should also be stuff in, this, in the story that appeals to people who aren't bankers all the time. And I always give the example of, we did a story of an entrepreneur that started an auto parts company, doing very well. And one of the niches that he found was selling auto parts to the U.S. Army. 
Who knew the U.S. Army needs replacement parks? Well, <laughs> they've got one or two vehicles. They tend to break down occasionally. Yeah. They need replacement parts. So on the one hand, you have a nice story about an entrepreneur who found his niche and found his money. But also it was an informative piece on, okay, so if you want to do business with the government, you don't exactly just call them up and sell them things. There's a whole process. So we like to think of our stories can be informative in both of those ways. Lots to unpack there. It's very interesting. First and foremost, you mentioned business anniversaries. You and I are sitting here at essentially the one-year anniversary of ROINJ. What was the biggest surprise now having reached one year? Am I allowed to say that we made one year? Is that, is that allowed <laughs> well, to be the biggest surprise? It can be if that was a surprise. So if that's true, you're joking. But if that's true, why? So listen, we had the grand old idea to start a media company in 2017 that was based on a print product. And most people out there would say, wow, what a stupid idea. There's not a chance in the world that that's going to survive. Mm. We believed in the concept. So essentially what happened was... I was at NJ Biz. I had run NJ Biz as the editor for four years. We did a lot of good things. We made our, our mark in the market. The parent company that owned NJ Biz was sold. As they say in the business world, the, the new owners, we didn't necessarily agree with what their business model was going to be going forward. Look, that happens all the time. We looked around and we said, we think we've got something here in New Jersey. We think we have good relationships with businesses and the key players. Let's try to do something on our own. It apparently wasn't a bad idea because it did not take very long at all to find an investor who started us. So myself and Tom Hughes left as the essentially the editor and the publisher. We quickly hired a staff of seven. We're up to 11, brought the people that we knew and loved and trusted to come over and do it. And that's where we started. And when we started, we always like to make the joke, and anybody who lives in New Jersey understands this, you know, there's no new houses in New Jersey, right? When you have a house, all you're doing is adding on, right? You can drive around and you can see where they've added on. It's a new kitchen. It's a new back porch. It's this and that. So when NJ Biz is a longtime publication, loved NJ Biz, still love NJ Biz, still wish them very well. But when you have a publication or a media outlet that's been around for 25, 30 years as it had, everything is slowly added to it. When NJ Biz started, there was no such thing as the internet, let alone having a website. They didn't have a digital presence. So everything is added to it, much like an old house that you constantly have to refurbish. So when we started RRI, we said, okay, we can build our new house from scratch. We can start how we want to do it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being cool and hip and modern, we said, okay, everything's digital. Everything's going to be digital first. The kids want to read everything on their phone. We're going to make sure everything looks really cool on your phone first. And eh, if they want to look at the desktop, that's fine. And who cares about that silly print edition that I guess we have to do, but nobody reads print anymore anyways. <laughs> so um, it's the reason, quite frankly, our site actually looks the best on your phone and our email distribution looks the best on their phone. So you you talk about some of the surprises. Some of the surprises that we found is how much of a love there is and how much of need there is still for print publication. Mm. Warms my heart. I've been in print publications for 25 years. Thrilled to see it. It's great. It's a combination of factors. You could say, okay, so you're doing business. So who's going to be your average business crowd? Well, it's going to be 55-year-old white men executives who wear a white shirt and a tie and sit behind a desk. That's not true at all, but that would certainly be the stereotype. Right. And those are the people that still want to read a print publication. But what we found is a lot of people want to read print publications. Hmm. We do the print publication more featurey, so it holds up a little bit. Advertisers love print publication. Just a little secret there. If we started this five years ago and you went to advertisers, they would have said, we're all digital. We're not doing anything in print. Right. And that would have been fair. But that's coming around that we're finding. Again, the dollars show it. We're not, huh. trying, to, right. we're not trying to build up print. It's just the fact of the matter. So 
people realize that they still get a good bang for their buck by looking at the print publication, which we're thrilled about. We started, we say, look, we're going to do print. We don't know how long it's going to last. Right now, we see no reason. And quite frankly, all of our growth has been organic, and our numbers for mm-hmm. print are slightly ahead of our numbers for digital, which is astounding to wow. me. Astounding. So let me jump in there. A little background on myself, which is I came out of the beginning of, of my team and my production company was in the DVD business. So you're preaching to the converted about this question of the physical medium versus the virtual or digital. It's one of the topics I wanted to dive into. So that is fascinating that you've had such traction and success with the physical product. I'm holding it right now. You just mentioned that the physical, the paper, is more featurey. So there's different content in the physical. Is that what you mean? So everything that is in the paper will eventually be online. Okay. But if you look at it, our online presence is going to be our 24-7 breaking news as it happens site. There will be some features on there, but it's going to be the news of the day. Everything we put up and we made the decision early is all original content. We don't aggregate anything on our site, which is, you know, with a small staff has been a challenge. Which I want to come back to. That's I want to hear about that. So, but the magazine, the newspaper, however we want to call it, we like to view it as certainly more featurey. So there's going to be some new information in here that you haven't seen before, but the idea is ROI is going to get delivered to your building on a Monday. Okay. Let's take it from there. Are you a huge building with 600 people in it? Are you a small building with three people in it? And that's another catch on this. We like to say that we appeal to the decision makers at companies. Well, if you're, you know, RWJ Barnabas, which is one of the biggest employers of the state, the decision makers are very high on the food chain. If you're a small business and there's only four people there, well, pretty much everyone's a decision maker. So we do a lot of small, medium, and large. Hmm. So the point I make is it comes to your office and then when does it get delivered to the desk of the person who wants to see it? And more than that, there's a huge pass-around rate on this. Sure. So if something comes Monday, it might not get through the mailroom till Tuesday. Some people might not see it till Wednesday or Thursday. Some people like to grab it and say, look, I take it home, I read it on the, on the weekend. So the stories that we put in the paper need to hold up on the test of time. So if you look at something, you, we like to think you could grab any issue of ROI And most of the stories in there, even if it was an issue from three months ago, still hold up because it's something interesting about business in the state of New Jersey that would be interesting to you. Right. A little bit more of the evergreen idea rather than the churn of the daily news. Right. And we do both. Okay. So I'm holding the physical newspaper and then you have the strong digital platform. One of the perceptions of ROI and J is the amount, the volume of quality content that you're doing on a regular basis because you have these platforms the social media, the website, the email blasts, or the reach of your email campaigns, plus the physical, it's all really strong, that it's sort of deep dive reporting on important stuff. I don't see a lot of fluff coming through there. Can you speak to that? Well, the easy answer is we don't have enough time and people to produce fluff. Wow. Um, it's it it one way to look at it. Steve, some people would approach that as, well, if, if I have limited resources, we're going to do whatever we can. Some of it ends up being fluff, but you're not answering it that way. So I'll go back to in a previous lifetime, people are as humored to know that I was once the sports editor of the Star-Ledger, ah. which was once an important job at a really big, huge paper. And people ask me when I was the sports editor of the Star-Ledger, you know, who is your competitor? Is it the New York Times? Is it the Bergen Record? Is it the Daily News? And I always answered it the same way. And this is going back 20 years. I didn't feel that we were necessarily a competitor of any other paper. Certainly we're competing for stories. Certainly we're competing to break news and all of that. My answer always was we're competing for people's time. And this was 20 years ago. 
when you picked up the Star Ledger Sports section, if it was worth your time to pick it up, you'd pick it up the next day. There was nobody that picked up the Star Ledger and the Bergen Record and the New York Times and the Daily News and the New York Post and went through all five and said, okay, I think this sports section is the best, so I'm going to read this now. When someone picks up your newspaper, when someone walks into your restaurant, you've got a chance to show them something. And you're going to make money and you're going to build your business on repeat customers, on repeat subscribers. So we have to make it. We're battling for your time. So there are a number. There's more news outlets out there today than there ever was due to the Internet. So we're going to make sure that when you open up an ROI newsletter, when you go onto our website, when you get our publication, there was something in it that was worth your time. Because if there isn't, you're going to stop opening it up. Why should you? So I don't feel like we're competing against NJ Biz or the Star Ledger or Politico or Spotlight. Everybody's doing great work. People are consuming news at a far greater pace than they ever were before. So we want to make sure that when you're consuming something for us, it's something good. And we know that we're reaching the decision makers in the state. And people ask you, well, how do you know that you're reaching the decision makers? I say, well, there's a really easy answer because they have these things called Google Analytics, <laughs> right? And we can tell not only how many page views we get or what stories we can get, we can tell what time people are reading. And it's amazing to me how much of our content is consumed at 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night. Even something that might go out as breaking news. Last week, the head of Prudential, John Strangfeld, announced his retirement. We put out a breaking news at 9 o'clock in the morning. That story's being read at 9 o'clock at night. Well, why is that? Well, because the people who are reading us work for a living. They're a little busy. They're not sitting there and say, gee, I got to check RRI every 10 minutes. Yeah. So it might not be till 8 or 9 or 10 o'clock when they've had dinner, they've put their kids to bed, they're watching the latest issue of Law and & Order, and maybe they open up their tablet and they're seeing what's there. We have to give them something that's worth their time. So I'd rather have three or four really good stories than 11 lousy ones and maybe one good stuck in the middle. Wow. So we can't cover everything in the state. We know that. When I was at the Star-Ledger, the Star-Ledger had a business bureau of 30 people. Okay, We have 11 total staff, and that includes sales and marketing and events and operations and this and that. So we need to make sure what we do is right. We're not the place to go to get every single bit of business news in the state. Until we have 50 staffers, we can't do that. So we're going to make sure that the stuff we do, we do right. And we're going to try to do things a little bit differently. And we've noticed, you know, even we say this with big business or politics or any of these events, you know, when we show up and we do stories, people seem to know, oh, RRI's here. They're going to do something a little bit different. We're not going to do the traditional gamer, we call it, back from my sports days. Uh. We're going to try to add a little bit more analysis, a little bit more depth to it, hopefully a little bit more humor, and make it worth your time and know that it's going to be a little bit different. And you're not going to get, I'll sit here and admit it, you're not going to get every piece of business news that you need from ROI. But the business news and the culture news that you get for us is going to be good. And it's going to make you want to pick up the paper, open up the email, go on the website the next day. Clearly, there's an audience for that. That's what I, you've been Absolutely. Yeah. We'll be right back to the conversation after this brief message from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. For more information, visit jlc-accounting.com. And by Tap Into TV, original video programming covering topics of interest in New Jersey, New York, and beyond. Visit tapintotv.net. I want to take a left turn for a moment. I'd like to ask you about your perspective as we, again, sit here on a different kind of anniversary, essentially the 10-year anniversary of the, quote, Great Recession. And I'd like your two cents on how 
you perceived that and how the last 10 years have changed, you know, where we are now. And I have a feeling, you know, that's going to lead towards somewhat of a technology conversation. But I'd like to hear your two cents. Where, where are we at? From a media standpoint or from a society standpoint? Give me both. I mean, obviously, you're knee deep in the media piece. And especially from the entrepreneurial piece, you have a particular experience. I wouldn't mind hearing that. But you also have the wider perspective. So I, I'd like both if you don't mind. So let's talk from a media perspective. Yeah. When the downturn, the economic downturn, the Great Recession, whatever you want to call it, hit, I was still at the Star-Ledger. I was the sports editor of the Star-Ledger. I was managing a staff of about 65 people. The Star-Ledger was, uh, which was once just a complete cash cow, was starting to lose some of its revenue, some of its basis in there. And, and we can do a whole other story. And, and if you sit next to me in an airplane, I'll tell you the story about how eBay killed the Star-Ledger, not the Internet. Wow. It's absolutely true. eBay killed the Star-Ledger in media, not the Internet, not digital, not people don't want to read a paper anymore. But that's a whole other story. The that first question of our next podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so, listen, what happened in the media landscape there is everybody had to rethink all of their priorities. Every company had to look at every dollar they were spending, every way that they were getting things out, and it gave companies a reason to rejuggle, if that's a word, what they were doing. So a lot of people who are traditionally saying, okay, well, we're still going to support this media or do that media, all of a sudden said, hey, we've had to cut 5% of our staff, our revenue's down 12%, you know, the numbers are blah, 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 blah. What are we going to do? And media paid a price in that, as did a lot of companies. Sure. And with the technology, again, people were, you know, why do we need to invest here when we can do it ourselves? We can do our own digital platform. You know, it's funny. I was at the Star Ledger when we started StarLedger.com, SL.com, you know, mm -hmm. type of thing. Mm -hmm. And at the time, what we used to do was about 2 o'clock in the morning, we'd take all of the stories that we had written that day and put them up online, and then we didn't think about it for 24 more hours. And then, you know, when I took over as a sports editor about 2005, we said, you know what, we need to start doing this thing called real-time news where we actually put stories up as they go. And people mm -hmm. said, well, well, why would you do that? No one will buy the paper. I mean, there's big confusion of what you're doing. And why would you link to somebody else's work and be one-stop shopping when you're doing that? So everybody had to get through that. But really, there was just a sea change in the media landscape that was coming either way. Again, the eBay effect. Yeah. And that sped up the process. So newspapers, traditional media, really contracted. And I joke that on my tombstone will be dismantled a once great sports section. There were 65 <laughs> people when I started. When I left four years later, there was about 35 people. It's just the way that it was. It was the economics at the time sure. of the economic downturn. Yep. So if you want to do a bigger picture issue of the economic downturn, and I try to explain this to employers all the time, when the number one thing that heads will want to talk to me about is attraction retention, attraction retention. And, you know, it's the damn millennials. And it's never just millennials. There's always a curse word in front of it, you know, as, as if they are the problem. And I said, no, I've given this talk many times. It's the companies that's the problem. So it's 2008, 2009. You have the Great Recession. A couple of things happened. A lot of people lost their jobs, right? A lot of people were downsized out of that. A lot of people were, for lack of a better word, I'm not going to, I'm not going to use the word cheated, but Companies did some things that they could get away with. You were desperate for your job. How many companies all of a sudden announced, well, everyone needs to take a one-week or two-week furlough? Right. They didn't really need to do that. I think that was a nice way where they could, you know, knock off one twenty-sixth of their expense for sure. the year sure. and say, where are these people going to go? There's no jobs. They're lucky to have a job. Yep. We're going to stick it to them. Mm -hmm. We're going to say you have an unpaid vacation. Okay. Over a barrel. Yep. That's fine. You got them. That's all good. Okay. So you did that to your workforce in 2008. Well, 
what happens if you were in high school in 2008, right? You saw this happen to your mom and your dad and your neighbor and your uncle and everybody you know was affected. And the companies that had been taking care of the people were suddenly not taking care of them. So if I'm a senior in 2008, right, and I'm 18, I'm now 28. I'm now a millennial. Right. And now these companies can't understand why these 28-year-olds aren't loyal to them when 10 years before they saw what they did to their parents and their neighbors and their friends and this and that. And, and companies haven't realized that greater impact of that was the world, that was my coming of age seeing that. So now you're telling me you want me to give everything I have to you when I saw what you did to my parents? And that, that's a huge issue with, with attraction and retention. And now with the desperation for a smaller job pool, listen, if talk about you said over a barrel, now mm. some of the employees have the employers over the barrel. Right. And oh, surprise, surprise, they're taking advantage of it now. Yeah. But that whole sense of loyalty was lost during the economic downturn. And I don't think employers fully comprehended what that meant. Do you think that issue affects larger companies more than small? I, I think it affects everybody. Mm -hmm. I think every job is a one-on-one -on -one situation. If you hear anybody say, why did you leave a job? It's always because of their immediate supervisor. You can work at Google. And if you've got a terrible boss who's making your life miserable, you're going to go work for a mom and pop around the corner because it's a quality of life issue. Right. And that's what our experience has been working with millennials. And we've heard that over and over is quality of life matters. And that seems to be the issue coming out of that great recession a little bit. One of the issues. Well, it's quality of life. And then you get back to the technology piece. When I was in college in the 90s, I wanted to get an internship. I wrote out, I typed out a letter, literally in a typewriter, yep. mm -hmm. and I sent it to the 50 biggest newspapers in the country and said, will you please hire me as an intern? And I was thrilled when like three people actually wrote me back to reject me. I mean, right. that was a, a success story <laughs> that I got a rejection letter. Right. Most of them went nowhere. Okay, so I've given this talk before and I say, I'll sit in a room with 100 people and they'll be networking and I'll say, okay, everybody pick up your phone. I said, and everybody type in engineering jobs in Brisbane, Australia. <laughs> and within seconds, there are jobs for engineers in Brisbane, Australia, right on your phone. Yeah, at your fingertips. At your yeah. fingertips. So <laughs> these damn millennials who didn't put in their dues are job jumping. I said, they're not job jumping. They have an opportunity to job jump. And I said, okay, so pick up your phone now. Your competitor has just sent you a job offer for a 20% raise. Are, are you taking it? Would that mean you're disloyal to the company or are you doing something right by you? Mm. So I remember at a banking seminar I was at and I said, okay, so if you got a job application and they had three jobs in the last five years, how many would immediately take the resume and throw it away? Because that means they're not loyal and they're job jumpers and this and that. And 75% of the hands went up. I said, well, here's the deal. Those are the people you should be hiring because what it means is they're at a job, they're unhappy, Nobody's treating them well. They don't have a chance to do anything. And that doesn't mean they need to be president of the company. They just want an opportunity. And these companies are not doing it. They say, okay, you go sit in the desk and you bid your time, which is what I did when I was 21 years old. But nowadays I can pick up my phone and say, maybe someone will give me a chance. So when I see someone who's had three jobs in five years, I see someone who's ambitious, who's looking for a good job. Yeah. I see that should be a challenge for your company to say, I'm going to make it worth their while to stay here three or four years because I'm going to offer something. It takes a lot of work to find a job. My phone analogy 
outstanding. So the people who are doing it and moving around, those are your go-getters. Right. The last thing you want in this day and age is someone that's going to sit in a desk for six years and not go anywhere. It doesn't mean they're loyal. To some extent, it just means they're lazy and they're happy. That's who you want to build your company around? Right. I want the people that are saying, I want to be with a good company with good opportunity and, and I'm willing to work and I'm willing to find it. Right. So these job jumpers, that, that's who I want to hire. Decisive, risk-taking. You've painted this picture about millennials coming out of that 10-year period of the Great Recession. And you sit here as an entrepreneur at the one-year anniversary of ROI. What has your personal experience been in building ROINJ with these mid to late 20-year-olds who are, I'm assuming, part of your organization? Correct. Everyone at RI is 26 years old, but they've been 26 for about five years now. <laughs> it's funny, a lot of them are slowly but surely turning the, the grand old age of 30. Um, we have two weddings coming up here in our studio of the millennials. There so you go. This is what we're going through. So listen, I consider it a challenge to keep them. I consider it a point of pride that a lot of these people that I've had have worked for me now for three or four years. We make adjustments for what they need to do and how to do it. And here's the other line that I use with people. You can go into any company and ask any employee. We can walk into the shop right down the street and grab anyone in there and say, tell me the five hardest workers in this store and tell me the five laziest workers in this store. And every single person in the store knows exactly who they are. Yeah. So the idea, well, you got to be at your desk at nine o'clock or you have this many vacation days or you have this, come on. Everybody knows who's working and who's not working. If you're going to work for me, you're going to work. And if you work for me, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to make you happy. And if that means you've got a doctor's appointment, if that means you got a chance to go to Bermuda with a friend, go do it. Because I know when the time is right. Listen, we're in media. We put out a Monday morning newsletter today. And let me tell you something. Not all of that material was produced on Friday. A lot of it was produced over the weekend. People writing it, people editing it, people putting it together. Mm -hmm. Is that part of their nine to five job description for their job? No. But they're dedicated to what it does. And they do it and they willingly do it because we meet them halfway or we meet, we meet them more than halfway. So I know, you know who works and who doesn't. You don't need to set up certain rules about whether you can work from home and you need to check in or you need to do that. Just make sure you have people that, that you know if they're getting the job done, so they do it. Hire good people and get the hell out of the way. It's real basic business. It doesn't matter if you're 22 or 32 or 62. Preaching to the converted. <laughs> I love it. We share those values exactly the same way. Tune in next time for part two of my conversation with ROINJ editor and chief content officer, Tom Bergeron. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. Visit jlc-accounting.com. And by Tap Into TV, original video programming covering topics of interest in New Jersey, New York, and beyond. Visit tapintotv.net. This has been a production of East Main Media, hosted by Brian Brodeur. Special thanks to associate producer Morgan Taylor, audio engineer J.P. Conk, senior producer Kayla Galka. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe and leave us a good rating. For more information, visit eastmainmedia.com. And thank you for listening.